A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Sophie, have you ever tried to prevent chub rub, aka thigh chafing, by wearing bulky bike shorts under your skirts? I have, but not since I found undersummers. I wore them all summer in LA and I was able to move freely and protect my thighs. You do have a lot of skirts, so I can see why you're a fan. Yes, and right now, She's All Fat listeners can get 15% off undersummers orders until November 10th with code LOVESAF. That's L-O-V-E-S-A-F. Check them out at www.undersummers.com. as an elephant eats what are you at getting terribly fat what do you think will come of that i don't like the look of it I'm Sophie. I'm April, and this is She's All Fat. The podcast for body positivity, radical self-love, and spooky vibes only. This week, we'll discuss evil fat characters, Jonathan Groff, and churning butter. April, mm-hmm. what are you obsessed with this week? This week, I want to share my love for the Heim sisters. So, I don't usually like live music. It's too loud for me. It's too many people. I like to be home in my Victoria's Secret pink sweatpants. I never had pink sweatpants from Victoria's Secret because they never fit me. Well, okay, no, here's the secret, though, is if you get a large and you wash it a hundred times, <laughs> it will be loose enough oh, for okay. any plus-size person, <laughs> which is how I wear them. So, tip, you guys. <laughs> but my friend Morgan, she had an extra ticket, and she was like, listen, I don't know what a lot of other people of color who listen to Hein. I love what they represent. I love the idea that they're all sisters. I love that. They're all amazing at percussion, which I feel like you never see. Last night at the concert, they all got up and did a drum solo together. They killed it. They do percussion. They do guitars. They do vocals. All of it. Love it. I was so inspired by them. I love what they do with genre. Some songs were like, this could be like a Fleetwood Mac song. Some songs I'm like, this could be an R&B, like very sexy. Very inspired. I do just want to read some of the tweets of my friends making fun of me for liking these three right. white girls so much. I just wanted to tell them that like, I'm being bullied for my interests and like, it's not oh okay. okay. And like I have to stand up to it. Okay. So on July 6, 2017, I tweeted, fellow blacks, please. Oh my God. Fellow <laughs> <laughs> blacks. Jesus. Fellow blacks, please join me in standing for Heim. You won't regret it. My friend Kwanzaa said, you're still on this, huh? I said, I would never steer you wrong. Then my friend Shay tweeted me the Randy Jackson from American Idol. Yeah, it's a no for me, dog. Then I tweeted like a gift of somebody crying. Then my friend Shay said, I bump my song five from time to time, but that's it. And my song five is their most R&B song. So mm-hmm. like, please. This went on for months. I don't know why anyone would be surprised, though. Your favorite things are the color pink and Britney Spears. You are a 13-year-old white girl at heart. For you to say that at a time like this, in this racial climate. I'm truly hurt. I'm dismayed. I can't believe you. Sorry, I'm being myself. So that's one of my favorite songs from them. Anyway, I'm obsessed with Haim. I like Haim too. They're cool. They're awesome. Okay, tell me what you're obsessed with this week. 
Okay, this week I watched a bunch of this new Netflix show called Mindhunter that I think a lot of people are watching. It's pretty fun. I love crime shows and murder shows and things that are don't really make sense for me to like. Like, I've watched all of Law & Order SVU. Oh my like, God. all 14 seasons or whatever. So you've seen the Chris Brown-Rihanna episode. Yeah, my oh, favorite I've seen one. all of them. Are you kidding? <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite episode is where this woman uses a fish spear thing. You know, if you hunt fishes, you know that thing of hunting huge fish? Where there's a gun with a spear that comes out of it, and mm-hmm. then, like, the tip explodes. And she uses that to kill a guy. And then there's this clip of her where Olivia Benson finds her and is like, what did you do? And she's like, I only meant to cut his penis off. Oh my like, God. I just meant to cut his penis off. It's iconic. Anyways, I'm not totally comfortable with how much I love murder shows. Okay. I think part of it is just being like, thank God that's not me. Mm. You know, I think that's why people like scary stories. Cause there's the release afterwards where you're like, wasn't me. So Mindhunter is Jonathan Groff, noted gay Broadway icon, Jonathan Groff. He was the star of the original Spring Awakening, which in high school I watched all of the bootleg YouTube videos of that someone in the audience took. He's super hot, and he plays a person who works for the FBI. It's in the 70s, and then he and this other guy in the FBI are trying to work together to figure out why serial killers are the way they are. Basically... The beginnings of profiling okay. of serial killers. When you watch Law & Order now, they'll have the profiler come in and they're like, listen, he's a man in his early 40s. He likes sticker books and talking with his mom on Thursdays. You know <laughs> oh what I mean? <laughs> it's like, I okay. So it's like the root of that. It's like none of the things that I usually like. It's like all white men. Mm. It's very slow paced. All the victims are women. The working theory that they're going with tends to be that the men who kill women are messed up because their moms were mean. And yet I'm still really enjoying it. So watch it or don't. (laughs) (laughs) I do really like the two women who are in the main cast. In the first episode, you meet the girlfriend of Jonathan Groff's character. And she's just like really fun and like sassy. And she's a university student. She's always like, you're so boring. (laughs) Like she's fun. Then the other one is this hot professor lady who works at a university and is like, yeah, you guys know psychiatry and psychology? That's what you're talking about? FBI, get with the picture. Interesting. Also, just the thing I'm actually obsessed with is, as always in October, I just spend half the time with werewolf bar mitzvah stuck in my head. <laughs> Are you going to play the clip? Werewolf bar mitzvah. Spooky scary. What's becoming men? And becoming wolves. It's ridiculous. It's so funny. It's one of my favorite things to come out of 30 Rock. I love it. I'm honestly really excited for the Mean Girls musical because it's Tina writing the book and her husband who did the music doing the music. Yeah. I bet it'll be funny. I think it'll be funny too. I'm excited. So now we're going to shout out some of the people who left us reviews on Apple Podcasts, aka the real ones. Okay, so first is Anna Ray. I know Anna from going to Girls State in 2009. Shout out to Anna. Next is Debbie H. Dell. Thank you, Debbie. And Mare May 87. Thank you, Mare. Finally, we want to shout out Hans Bananas. Hans left this review that I'm going to read because it really made us giggle. I like this show so much, I went through the trouble of recovering my password to iTunes so I could leave a five-star review. That's a lot of work, That really is. There's so many websites where I'm like, guess I'll never return. Yeah. I don't know my password. Yeah, Google didn't save a plug-in for me. Bye. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. I don't really need that content anyway. So, wow. We so appreciate you going through that. Thank thank you, you. Hans. Okay, we'd also like to give some shout-outs to our new patrons on Patreon. Stephanie Deal, Natalie Johnson, Alyssa Mazzoni, and Grace Hammonds. Thank you guys so much. We love having you be part of the Patreon family. I hope you're enjoying all the posts that we write for the Patreon page. We put a lot of time into them, and there's some really cute behind-the-scenes pics and stuff. So, yeah, look out for some more behind-the-scenes stuff and cool stuff happening on Patreon. We have a couple corrections. Sigh. Number one, the only feedback that we got with a correction is that I would like to give a sincere apology to my best friend, Lindsay Toyabelle, because she felt we used a mocking tone when talking (laughs) about Outlander. And I would just like to say, once again, and for all, that I found Outlander before she did, so like, I'm the original fan, and so I would never mock it truly, but Lindsay 
sorry we made you feel better whatever but like i lived outlander <laughs> first and like you know that so like i wouldn't mock it but april would why wouldn't i mock that show it's so mockable and that doesn't mean i won't give it a chance but that means i watched a pilot and it was at least five straight minutes of different corsets being put on and taken off i'm like, just like, I can't okay do the this. pilot also has two men going down on the main woman i'm yeah. just saying you're right, you're right. and this weekend is when she's meeting up with jamie again and they are gonna smash <laughs> it's gonna be great Okay. Sorry, Lindsay. Okay. <laughs> what else? Our next correction is just that we have had two, hear that? Two hot tips on potential Mel's. Hashtag find Mel. Hashtag yeah. find Mel 2017. We have not forgotten. Literally, you guys tweet us your leads. I'm not kidding. I am so happy that everyone else loves Mel as much as I do. I literally look at her Amazon profile to see if there's new clues at least once a week. New clues. <laughs> Oh my god. So we have two listeners who found Mel's they think might be our Mel, Saf Mel. One of them, she's retired, of course, and her career was as a crime scene investigator, which would be perfect. I really hope that's Mel. Honestly, I hope that one is the Mel. Iconic. I want to play this game forever. I almost (laughs) never want to find the real Mel. This is great because the reality is we're looking for a woman in her 60s who likes crafts and is just getting into feminism. Do you know how many women that is? And birdhouses. <laughs> you know, yeah. but how many of them have such a cheeky tone? Yeah, that's true. That's true. You and know? how many have a grocery store themed right. birdhouse? The other Mel that we got a tip about is a different Mel who has a Pinterest board called Mel's Birdhouses, which is like, seems a big clue, but also think about it. Could be a different Mel. <laughs> Doesn't match up with the first Mel. And she also had some other clues. And I don't want to say it because I don't really want people harassing yeah. these women. But had some other clues that did make me think the first one was the real Mel. But mm. Mel's birdhouses, it's like that seems real also. So like who's the real Mel? Hashtag find Mel. Hashtag who is the real Mel? Real Mel. Mel, we're looking for you. <sighs> Mel, come home. <laughs> Mel, come home. <laughs> I want someone to make an Incredible Journey style poster of mel because we gotta find her she's gotta come home to our hearts please keep sending those tips in guys we yeah. love it finally i just wanted to say we really love when you guys tweet us your thoughts or email us your thoughts about the episodes it's so helpful and it's also just so fun and nice to feel like we're in conversation with you guys it's just the two of us there's no intern <laughs> looking at these i'm reading all the tweets you guys <laughs> you're tweeting at me yeah but it's really fun to see people live tweeting the episodes or just telling us your thoughts on them it makes us feel like we're all in this community together and we really love it and also i'm just going to note here that if we have any listeners in new york you might be interested in this there's going to be a nightmare before christmas live concert next week i'm going to put the link in the show notes i think it'll be like tomorrow for you okay it'll be like the friday after this show comes out but it looks really cool and there's this really cool fat woman who's a singer who is playing oogie boogie and she looks really dope i'm gonna put a link to her singing a little bit in the show notes her she's voice so good is wild yeah if i could be there i would totally be there she yeah. looks like she could like break glass with oh my that God. voice incredible yeah. so we're not associated i just love nightmare before christmas and it looked like a cool event okay mm-hmm. we should really get to the meat of it don't you think for show. Werewolf for mitzvah, spooky, scary. Boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. Werewolf for mitzvah, spooky, scary. Boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. This week on The Meat of It, we're talking about media portrayal of fatness when it's used to mean gluttony, sloth, or just plain evil. Fat people. We're terrifying. <laughs> boo my god (laughs) okay sometimes in scary stories we see fatness in a character used as a way to mean someone has failed they've given up they become bad or they're so evil that they don't even care that they're fat can you imagine being that evil some characters that quickly came to mind The mom of one of the characters in the most recent version of It, which we discussed before, she has a pink tracksuit she's bulging out of, and she's definitely a villain, although not as villainous as Pennywise, but Mm. still evil. Augustus Gloop in Willy Wonka or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, depending on which version you're listening to. This is a non-Johnny Depp podcast, so (laughs) miss me with that bullshit. Jabba the Hutt, like classic example of, oh, look, that you can tell they're evil because they're disgusting and fat. The Trunchbull. 
the aforementioned Oogie Boogie, the penguin in the old Batman movies. So yeah, fatness is often used in these narratives as a way to be like, you're initially turned off by the way this person looks. And then it's an easier jump from there to being evil. It's a different kind of evil than the suave, beautiful evil. Mm, this yeah. is, they're gross. That just seems like such a jump. Because even if someone stinks and smell bad, I don't think about that being a reflection of their morality, but that clearly is the whole premise. It's very Puritan. Yeah. It's, it's like, played out. Yeah. It's very Chaucer to be like, and their outside is <laughs> reflected upon <laughs> the inside us. You know what I mean? Ridiculous. I just wanted to play a few seconds of the song in the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie that the Oompa Loompas sang about Augustus Gloop. Reminder, Augustus Gloop is the kid who is disqualified from being the inheritor of the Chocolate Factory because he is gluttonous and he eats chocolate from the Chocolate River, which, like, you wouldn't eat chocolate from the Chocolate it's River? It's a Give chocolate me a break. river. Give me a break. It's a trap is what it is. Okay, so this is the song that they sing talking about his flaws. As an elephant eats What are you at getting terribly fat What do you think will come of that I don't like the look of it Putting aside the context of the weird racial fucked upness of these made up Oompa Loompas like Roald Dahl was on some bullshit mm -hmm. but yeah I don't like the look of it <laughs> it's, it's just very blatant. It's also it's such a non sequitur. Like you're talking about like him getting disqualified. And they're like, and it's gross. Like, <laughs> fuck off. Yeah, great. So let's. <laughs> <laughs> you, right. you gotta laugh because oh, yeah. otherwise it's like, oh, I guess everyone sees me as evil. You know what I mean? Once you come outside of it a little bit and you're like, this is so dumb. It's like based on nothing. <laughs> Literally just, I don't like the look of it. That's what fat phobia is based off of. Yeah. I don't like the look of it. I mean, it's another one of those dichotomies for fat people. There's jolly or there's evil and gross. Mm -hmm. There's no neutral. It's either Santa Claus or... Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'd rather be Jabba, TBH. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, explain this. You wouldn't rather be Santa Claus? Everybody no, loves Santa. I'd rather go for power. If I'm going to be lonely and put aside by society, which Santa has Mrs. Claus and that's it. I'm just saying, if I'm going to be inhabiting all of these, quote, non-feminine attributes, then I'm going to go for power, too. I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to be up there being altruistic and be rejected by society. No, thanks. <laughs> Here's Santa Sophie's seems lonely. Sophie's over here advocating for becoming Job of the Hut, you guys. <laughs> I'm just saying. Get on board. I don't remember. Honestly, I don't remember what Job of the Hut does. Isn't that the Leia gold bikini thing? Oh, okay. That is what happened. Yeah. So one of the examples I wanted to talk about when it came to fat antagonists, first one that came to mind for me was Fat Bastard from the Austin Powers movies. I've never seen them. Really? Oh, yeah. congratulations. For some reason, I've seen all of them. Really? I don't know why. I think it's oh, Beyonce was Beyonce in one. one. Yeah, I think that's why. Yeah. But so Austin Powers, if you guys haven't watched them, they're these like late 90s, early thousands movies that are basically just James Bond spoofs. That's all you need to know. So one of the villains in the Austin Powers movies is named Fat Bastard. And I'm going to read this description that I found from the Austin Powers Wikia fandom page, which, side note, it's like a really detailed fandom page. Like, who are you people? Who This is your life. I love it, though. <laughs> I love any kind of detailed fandom. Like, y'all are really in there. I mean, I'll read it. You'll get, you'll see, like, the minutia of this description. Okay. So this is what the Wikia, I will link to this in the show notes if for some reason. Okay. Um, <laughs> we, if we got some fat bastard heads in the crowd. <laughs> we're like, actually, 1997. <laughs> Please. Um, <laughs> Is in the canon, actually? <laughs> please don't. Please don't do this to yourself. For me and for you. Okay, so here's a description of Fat Bastard. An immensely obese henchman turned semi-pro sumo wrestler hailing from Scotland, 
fat bastard who serves Dr. Evil in his quest to defeat Austin. He is noted for his foul temper, his frequently breaking wind, and his unusual eating habits, namely a taste for babies and anything that looks like a baby. And there's a slur here that I will not be repeating. Fat bastard has problems controlling his defecation patterns, <laughs> as evidenced by his constant remarks of turtle heads and skid Ew. marks. Okay, yeah. also, can I just note here, this is exactly the way that all fandom things are written, which is like a weird old-fashioned terms for things like breaking wind <laughs> the heck i just Why? really first we'll just we'll play the clip then okay. we'll dissect before you kill us let me ask you one question are you happy what kind of stupid ass question is that i'm rich and i'm dead sexy <laughs> answer my question are you happy of course i'm no happy look at me i'm a big fat slob i've got bigger titties than you do i've got more chins than a chinese phone book i've not seen my willy in two years which is long enough to declare legally dead i can't stop eating it goes on for a long time. Jesus. So, wow, that is worse than I expected. It's really bad. So basically, he's a henchman, like they said, but his superpower is he goes to the victim, he grosses them out so much that they're like, whatever you want, please just get out of here. You're so gross and disgusting. Oh and then, of course, he has his signature tagline. Get in my belly! He's in all the movies. Yeah, like I said, his superpower is basically just being so disgusting. And then he had that moment, weirdly, in one of the movies where he's like, actually, this is me being vulnerable. I'm going to read some of the quotes of things he said in the films, just so you can get a real picture for this villain, that bastard. First things first, where's your shitter? I've got a turtle head poking out. I'm bigger than you. I'm higher in the food chain. Get in my belly. What if I made you reading that my ringtone? (laughs) (laughs) Get in my belly. Um, no. Oh my god! Out of context, these are much worse than they ever oh you god. ever could imagine. Okay, what context can make them better? <laughs> Truly nothing. Jesus Christ! This diaper is making my nuts rub together. It's going to start a fire. Oh <laughs> In the movies, he's let himself go so much because if he's fat, like, it makes him unruly or it makes him not want to take care of his yeah. body or something. It's all linked. Number one, truly the greatest writing that American cinema has ever <laughs> produced. If you look at even any levels of it that clip is so sad because he starts by saying like i'm sexy and then he's like what do you mean of course i'm not happy i'm like super fat it's even like yeah fat people are pathetic and they pretend they think they're hot and then they hate themselves because everyone knows they're gross and you should accept it that they're gross like it's really sad later on the clip he's like i eat because i'm unhappy i'm happy because i eat i'm eat like i my body is a prison Whoever wrote that clearly thought they were really attacking the American psyche, you know? (laughs) Like, this is a human condition. I mean, having that be a character, in order to watch that and laugh at it, you have to have such a disdain for fat people, you know what I mean? You have to have already thought that. Like, just because that's the thing about a joke is you laugh because it's true. So you're laughing because it's confirming the bias you already had. I think, yeah, it really reminds me of this thing I studied in a class about theory of mind and literature, about how people put themselves into books but it applies to tv shows too and remember a few years ago when all that stuff came out about reading increases empathy mm, yeah. so when you look at the studies about it and i will link to this journal study if anyone wants to read it but basically when readers have to read a text they may feel less empathy with other people when they cannot identify with the characters in the text and they may experience feelings of rejection disgust and disengagement hence their empathic skills may decrease when they disengage So basically, your empathy increases if you feel similar to the people in the text. And the only function of a character like this is to increase disgust and disengagement. And it doesn't promote empathy at all, obviously. When you have a character that's only there to be made fun of and be an object of pity and horror it's and gonna disgust. yeah it's gonna like increase fat phobia outside of the movie it also makes me sad because this is one of the many media texts the same as with shallow Hal, yeah where i saw it as a kid and it didn't even register that they were making fun of fat oh, people it kind of went over your head then a couple years later you see it and you're like oh no this yeah. is horrible so anyway uh, check out that bastard <laughs> I mean, um, I think yeah. that's really the saddest, the saddest villain that we have. Because I think it's the one that's 
the most sad misanthropic version of how people think about fatness it's mm-hmm. that it's all the stereotypes at the same time yeah times a million minus any empathy so who are some of our other fat antagonists so if you guys have ever seen silence of the lands it's a great movie it's so good it's so scary i think it's the movie where anthony hopkins won a supporting oscar for the fewest number of minutes being oh. in the movie He's in the movie for like 18 minutes total. Wow. And yet he casts this overwhelming presence because he's so good. He's amazing. He's so scary in it. But if you guys remember, I'm going to spoil the movie if you don't remember. You're literally 26 years <laughs> late. Yeah. <laughs> but in Silence of the Lambs, Anthony Hopkins' character isn't the main bad guy. He's a fascinating bad guy. This whole movie has a lot of body horror. Mm-hmm. So he's a cannibal. He eats people's bodies. And this other bad guy in the movie that Clarice Starling is trying to... That's her name, right? Clarice Starling? Clarice, yeah. He's like, Clarice. Yeah. Ah, Bobby. Yeah, yeah. Good good impression. Um, <laughs> They're working on it for 26 years. <laughs> that Clarice Starling is trying to catch is this murderer named Buffalo Bill, who kills fat women in order to skin their bodies and make a skin suit so he can be a woman or something. It's a pretty fucked up take on Psycho and also probably very damaging narrative for any trans or gender queer people sure. <laughs> out there for that to be like oh yeah he's bad and he, he's a man who wants to be a woman so he kills women that doesn't really happen but sure but he kills fat women and he chooses fat women so that their skin will be loose on him or something so he can fit inside better it's a it's a questionable logic okay but i would say that it's an interesting pairing with fat bastard to be like oh so there's this fat man who like you're disgusted by him and then these fat women who are like disappearing because their bodies are only useful as camouflage yeah Yeah. or something i don't know i'm gonna play this brief clip (laughs) that i found just the way that he says this is so weird and off-putting and he's a very good villain Although, again, I'm sure that if this movie came out now, the trans criticism of it would be like, please never anyone watch this, and they would be right. Yeah. Oh, uh, Jack Gordon. Mr. Gordon. Good. Um, well, Frederica used to work for Mrs. Lipman. Did you know her? No, uh uh-uh. Oh, wait. Was she a great big fat person? Yeah, she was a big girl, sir. Okay, so part of what's interesting about that clip to me is that Jodie Foster corrects him by saying she was a big girl. Ugh, one of my least favorite euphemisms. <laughs> if you guys voted in the She's it. All Fat Twitter poll, that was one of the what fat euphemism is the worst. I love a big girl or she's a bigger girl. I hate big girl. I hate it. Do I get more stay up later privileges now? <laughs> like, I hate it. <laughs> you get a bigger cookie. Ugh. I hate it. So disturbing. Yeah. It's part of the horror fascination, I think, that it's fat women in this movie. And I think it's like interesting to think about how the fat bodies are dehumanized. Like, yeah. maybe in Buffalo Bill's mind, he's like, this is the least human of women. Yeah. The most disposable. Exactly. So I'll wear them as a suit. I guess. Don't leave your house. <laughs> <laughs> Scary. Okay. okay. Who's up next for fat antagonists? Okay. So we both really want to talk about this next category, which is lighter. Thank God. Everyone <laughs> was, like, freaked out by what we just said. No more skin suits. No more skin Jeez. suits. No more talking about poops. <laughs> no more skid marks. No more skid We're marks. moving on. That's our <laughs> intro. Skid marks and skin suits. <laughs> so dark. <sighs> so we're talking about Disney villains. Woo! So these are interesting because Disney movies have their own universe of things to be critiqued about i love disney movies i think a lot of people do that's why disney is a huge multi-billion dollar conglomerate but that doesn't mean just as with oprah we cannot take a critical look at them so the first one i want to look at is the queen of hearts uh, from alice in wonderland so lindy west wrote about her in this chapter in shrill oh we'll link to shrill she's awesome yeah So Lindy West, in her book Shrill, writes about the Queen of Hearts in her chapter where she talks about the fat women she had as media role models when she was growing up. This is a quote from that chapter. In Alice in Wonderland, her only personality trait is likes the color red. She doesn't seem to do any governing aside from executing minors for losing at croquet. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, and she is married to a one-foot-tall baby with a mustache. She is, now that I think about it, the perfect feminazi caricature. Fat, loud, irrational, violent, overbearing, constantly hitting a hedgehog with a flamingo. <laughs> oh, shit. She taught me everything I know. So I that's <laughs> a quote from Lindy West Shrill. I think that's, like, pretty accurate. She's very loud. She's always shouting. She's, like, a, a loud, nagging, bossy, unattractive, like, that character. My question is, where do you think the irrational thing comes from? Is that a stereotype that fat people are irrational? I've never seen that one. I think this one is more misogynistic at its base mm. of the desexualized middle-aged woman than it is fat-based. I think it's more like, oh, she's not an ingenue type. I mean, the whole point of Wonderland is that nothing makes sense there, right? And this part in specific is like the tiniest bit of send-up of monarchy mm -hmm. that Lewis Carroll gets in there. But in the movie version she's kind of loud and scary and her face gets all red when she shouts mm -hmm. it's just like nagging fat mom basically what do you think the difference is as far as just misogynistic stereotypes and fat stereotypes when it comes to loudness do you think fat women are known as being loud or think they're known more as being as far as stereotypes being more the quiet insecure person in the corner like i'm trying to kind of differentiate what the stereotypes are like I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's the same thing we were talking about before where there's just a bifurcation. There's just it's one or the other. There's yeah. no like middle ground. It's either like she's fat and she's quiet and she hates herself and mm -hmm. you would never know what's going on inside that head. Or it's like she's fat and she's loud and she's a feminist and she's like, pushing everyone and blah. Mm -hmm. There's no middle ground. But yeah, especially when it comes to stereotypes, no room for nuance. That's the worst part. Yeah. <laughs> There is also for men a quiet fat stereotype. All fat stereotypes are seen as bottom of the barrel slash lowest social status. So it's just what strategy are you taking to counteract low social status? Is it don't notice me or is it I'll fight you? And the last one we want to talk about is Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Let's play a little clip of her here. I admit that in the past I've been a nasty. They weren't kidding when they called me well a witch. But you'll find that nowadays I've mended all my ways. Repented, seen the light, and made a switch. Two years. And I fortunately knew a little magic. It's a talent that I always have possessed. And here lately, please don't laugh. I use it on behalf of the miserable, lonely, and depressed. Pathetic. Poor unfortunate souls in pain. This one longing to be thinner, that one wants to get the girl, and do I help them? Yes, indeed. Those poor unfortunate souls. Um, Fascinating. You can tell she's evil by the minor key. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know. Dang, honestly, Ursula's a villain and everything, but let's just get this our way up top. She's so thick. She's, yeah. <laughs> Body I mean, goals. She's iconic. She's iconic looking for sure. She's the only Disney character I could ever be for Halloween. <laughs> you know what I mean? I Or mean, it would be like fat version. Like, I'm fat Cinderella. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I could also be the fat chef from Ariel. Oh, yeah. You, you know, the one, the one that goes, um, les poissons, les poissons. Hee, hee, hee. He's like trying to kill Sebastian. Remember that one? Yes, yes I do. Um, I could be the chubby um, one from Hercules. The Oh, yeah, the muse. The muse. You could the definitely be muse. the muse. She's oh, so for sure. cute. She's so cute. Ursula but, thick, but problematic. Yeah, I mean, Urs so even in that song, um, the visual of that song, part of it is her saying she turns fat female mermaids thin 
<laughs> if they beg for if it. they beg for it yeah. and also i had this conversation with at anna mardal who is one of the trans activists and writers who i mentioned in an earlier episode that i learned from a lot on twitter they were like oh ursula is bad and i was like what ursula is good <laughs> and they were like think about it i'm a trans activist and ursula changes people into bodies that they hate and keeps them forever that way and i was like shit oh <laughs> yeah you're right But, like, you know, she's definitely a villain. She does bad things. She is the only character in a Disney movie who's fat, and you're like, okay. I just love the way she whips her body around. Yeah. Like, I love the way that she's, like, existing in her form and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, she is straight up ruining lives left and right. Yeah. Ursula calm down. Well, she dies at the end, right? Oh, yeah. She, like, gets something shoved through her. They kill her by ramming a ship through her. Yeah. Wow. I don't know if we're supposed to find her hot, but I always thought Ursula was super cute. Yeah. (laughs) And based off a drag queen. Ursula, the cartoon character, is based off a real-life drag queen named Divine. We'll link to her in the show notes. It's uncanny, obviously. And, wow, you really get... It's from the eyebrow placement of this drag queen. You really get that evil vibe, that up-to-menacing, no-good vibe. Yeah. Beautiful inspiration, beautiful artwork. (laughs) One time I went on one of those Wikia things, Mm -hmm. and I found a fandom thing that said that canonically, Ursula and King Triton were together, and then they broke up, and then she was exiled. Oh my god, she's a scorned woman. I was like, you don't know what canonically means. (laughs) But... It's canon! (laughs) But she's the sea witch. She lives on the outside, and it's definitely a part of her magic that she's, like, boundary-breaking because she's fat, and she doesn't care. For sure, that's a part of it. Honestly, Ursula also is supposed to exist as like a foil to Ariel. Oh, totally. So like Ariel's like virgin and pure and (laughs) silent. Yeah, exactly. And she does a wonderful voice. She just wants to fuck Eric. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Um, and like nice red hair, sweet girl. And Ursula's like, I'm whipping my short like lesbian haircut (laughs) everywhere. (laughs) Please look at my fat ass. Like I'm gonna trap you forever. No, totally. Somehow still on Team Ursula, even though she is a problematic. I mean, she's definitely an example of how to be joyfully transgressing social norms. <laughs> I think it's just that she's a fun villain because she takes so much joy in it. It's a lot more fun to watch her having fun. I love when she does a like head thrown back cackle at yeah. like other people's misfortune. Oh my god, totally. It's good. Truly. But Ursula, iconic body, iconic face. It's a lot easier, obviously, to find examples of fat villains in cartoons because it's easier to create a cartoon than it is to, like, hire a fat woman to be an actress, apparently. Why would you hire a fat actress? Um, Ew. (laughs) So just another one off the top is just from The Secret of Nim. There's this Auntie Shrew who is, like, rude and shit. She's fat. She's shrew. She's a shrew. Mm. She's shrewish. She's fat. But, yeah, we don't have enough time to get into this, but I wonder how many examples we could think of of fat as meaning like hulking or like big mm. as opposed to like pathetic or you know gluttonous well the trunch bowl is the first one that comes to mind because yeah. the trunch bowl is shown exercising several times yeah she's like muscular she's yeah she's training to whoop somebody's ass yeah <laughs> like it's good now that we've kind of explored this obvious connection people are making between being fat and being unruly equals being evil in some way like what can we do it's so pervasive it's in all these examples Is there anything we can do to stop this, or do we just strap it? Okay, I mean, I think we're looking at a micro version, fatness, of just, like, the broader idea that white heteronormative patriarchy makes everything that's not, like, a cis white person into something that could be feared. And that includes, like, a lot of versions of femininity, even though there are, you know, a lot of things about white womanhood that are revered. But, you know, in movies like The Witch where it's explored of like, there's no fatness there. It's just other versions of if you don't fit the norm, you could be evil. So I think all we can do is keep fighting against those positions of privilege and be like, listen, we're normal too. Because until we're more centered as good guys, we're always going to be the bad guys. Totally. I think what people don't realize about media representation is like when you present people in these lights of like fat equals bad it just adds to the othering of people in real life society like once you leave the movie theater if you didn't already have this idea planted in your head now you do and so i think it's like about media representation it's about yeah just like trying to push back against all these attempts to make it so that anybody who isn't like you know or just christian bale yeah just like like that study i was talking about it's like um 
I remember people talking about Fat Bastard and thinking he was so funny. Yeah. And I, it's impossible for me to watch that without feeling, like, intensely sad, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, do you have empathy for the characters you're watching on screen? Do you have empathy for the people, even in, like, you know, dumb things or, scary, like, really scary slasher things that you're watching? Like, what, like, people maybe could be encouraged to examine their thoughts about, like, why is this person disposable to me? Why is this person antagonistic to me? And why can't I have empathy or relate to someone who doesn't look exactly like me. Like, I think people, the only way that you can feel for a character is if they're like you, then chances are in real life, the only way you can relate to other people's struggles, if they're just like you, which is a problem. Let's be fatties for Halloween. Like, let's really embrace the, like, power inherent in our marginalization that is what people are so afraid of. Um, And, like do that i'm gonna be a donut for halloween <laughs> i literally have a costume i'm like the biggest roundest thing i could find oh my god that's I not scary no it doesn't have, doesn't have to be scary i think just in general like if people are creating media not to say you shouldn't have villains like hey villains are the backbone of our society we live in a capitalist society but i'm just saying like if you someone who creates media just push yourself to think of how can I create a villain that's not totally based on a stereotype? Yeah. Like, how can I create something inventive and not just, like, you don't want to be punching down or reinforcing things that already exist and already make life hard for people. Yeah. Which is clearly what all these people who created these characters were unintentionally or intentionally, like, doing. Mostly unintentionally, honestly. Yeah. I see a lot of inherent, like, unintentional bias in these. Um, but as Lindy West, fat writer icon, said in her New York Times op-ed this week, um, yes, this is a witch hunt. I'm a witch and I'm hunting you. It's on. <laughs> Let's be fat witches. I'm down. Fwitches? It's not cute. Fwitches? Fitches? Fwitches? I was trying to make like a word smash. Doesn't work. Try- um, <laughs> so that's the meat of it for this week. We've solved the problem of scary fat representation in horror movies. You're welcome. Welcome. (laughs) Prim and proper, the girl who's never been cased. But I'm tired of being pure and not chaste. Like something that seeks its level. I want to go to the devil. I want to be evil. I want to spit tax. I want to be evil. This episode was sponsored by Undersummers, a company founded by Carrie Ray. Their soft and comfy short lit slip shorts will become your go-to thigh-protecting favorite panty for underskirts and dresses year-round. The shorts are manufactured in Los Angeles and are not shapewear. I wore them in New York City, Arizona, Los Angeles, and I'm a big fan. As someone who suffers from HS, it's hard for me to find a solution for chafing that doesn't make the problem worse, and Undersummers is that solution for me. I love that they explicitly don't try to pull in your tummy or restrict your waist. The shortlet slip shorts have fun lace bottom-to-top edging on them and are made to be seen, so go ahead and let them show. She's All Fat listeners can get 15% off until November 10th with code LOVESAF, L-O-V-E-S-A-F. Check them out on Instagram for outfit inspiration at Undersummers. And now it's time to ask a fatty. If you want advice, you can send a voice memo of yourself asking a question to FYI at She's All Fat Pod. You can record it on your computer or the voice memo app on your iPhone. Just keep it short, about one minute max. Or if you're shy, you could send us a plain old email at FYI at She's All Fat Pod.com. We might answer your question right here on the show. But also, send a voice memo because I love those. <laughs> this week, we're answering a listener letter from Lindsay who asked us. What is your typical makeup routine? Oh my god. The First discourse. of all, Lindsay, thank you so much for this question. Thank you for stepping up to the plate. Someone had to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start because my answer is going to be shorter because someone has a lot of stuff. Well, someone gives you a lot of stuff when she's <laughs> done with it. So, like, do you want to go there? That's true. I've inherited a lot of stuff from someone. And I do appreciate the yeah. stuff from someone, whatever. My makeup routine is wash my face, roll out of bed. (laughs) If I want to attempt to try that day, it'll be sometimes foundation. I just bought a new foundation that I'll probably use a lot because it still makes my skin look like skin, which is my (laughs) biggest pet peeve about foundation. That looks like plastic. It looks like a pancake. 
I would like to be able to identify just some human-like features. Yeah, that's why I like tinted moisturizer. Mm -hmm. Got a lot of tinted moisturizer, like at MAC, the one I've tried before, just makes me look kind of gray, Uh which I don't appreciate. So I got one that's like a sheer sunscreen with a little bit of foundation in it. I like that because I just put it on with my hands like I'm seriously so low maintenance. I will get bored doing my own makeup and walk away. I don't have the patience. So rub that in my face. Do the brow whiz on my eyebrows if I remember to. Do a mascara that I stole from my sister. And then I like berry dark lips most of the time. Sometimes a lip gloss. I either want my lips to be dark red or look like I dip them in like glycerin. Yeah. I want to have lube lip. I love lip gloss. Okay. You can you call do, me little you mama. You look good in lip gloss. Thank you. I want to draw attention to my giant West African lips because yeah. I love them. You have good lips. Thank you. And that's literally it. It varies sometimes. I always do... Either a bronze look or, you know, I don't really venture out that much. I wish I did more. But again, I get overwhelmed with where to put the stuff and then I get tired and I walk away. That's fair. <laughs> I'm bad at it. Please share your routine with the people. Okay. Well, when we're talking about a makeup routine, really, we got to start with the skincare routine. The most which, important part. Yeah. We can go into that in detail later. Hopefully, at some point, we'll have a skincare sponsor because Please. both of us have honestly great skin and we use some great products i'm just saying i would talk about them if they paid me for makeup i feel like my makeup philosophy is kind of the same as my clothing philosophy which is i either want it to be clear i tried or i want to look like garbage Mm. so i either do nothing or i do my whole thing so my everyday look is either nothing garbage Mm. or i put on all my skincare stuff and then I usually like a tinted moisturizer. Right now, I like the Milk Makeup Tinted Moisturizer. You press the top like a rollerball pen, kind of. But so, yeah, I use the NARS Matte Creamy Concealer under my eyes and on little spots if I have any, and like the one in the tube for if I have pimples. And then I also do either Boy Brow or Benefits Gimme Brow, the little wand thingy. Sometimes if I'm going to a party, I'll draw on a full brow because I find that makes the biggest difference in your face. Mm-hmm. But I don't like to do it every day because I want to look more effortless or whatever. No makeup, makeup. No makeup, makeup. And then I always do mascara because without mascara, I have light lashes. So I look like Tilda Swinton. (laughs) (laughs) And then I do blush. Right now, I really like NARS, the like liquid orgasm blush. Um, Ooh, I didn't know it came in a liquid. Yeah, it's really nice. Wait, so how do you apply it? You like shake it up and then you put a little bit on your hand and then dab it and blend it in. So I do pink, red, or berry, usually red or just pink. Mm -hmm. And then I use a variety of setting powders that all have SPF in them because I have to reapply SPF at least three times a day or I'll get burnt. Yeah. Dang. I'll put some more of my favorite makeup things in the Patreon post this week. I love playing with makeup and experimenting with it, but I usually don't do the whole thing unless I have a meeting or more likely a party Mm -hmm. because... I like just looking like I tried and I did a good job on me just a little bit. What was your high school makeup look? Oh my god, my high school makeup was, there's a color by MAC, an eyeshadow color called Bling, and it's a frosty pink. I used to dip my (laughs) fingers in Bling, rub it against my my eyelids, heavy eyeliner, heavy mascara, and then Victoria's Secret lip glosses and go out the door. Amazing. That is bitch alive. I used a lot of CoverGirl eyeshadow palettes, Mm. tried out different ones. I had my mom's cast off Estee Lauder freebies. Nice. And I spent like three years trying to learn how to do eyeliner. And Mm. then I always did winged eyeliner in college and after, but in high school, I would try and try and try and try and I couldn't do it. And then I would just wipe it all off. How do you feel like your relationship with makeup has changed as you've gotten more into body positivity? Hmm. I definitely went through phases where I felt like I couldn't leave the house without it. I felt like I needed my, you know, put my face on or whatever. And yeah, at least with my self-love journey, it's more like I like my original face a lot. I don't do contour. I don't really want to change the way the shape of my face looks. I more just want to point to the stuff that I like. So I like my lips. I'll wear like a dark lip. I think my eyes are cute. I'll put on mascara. But I feel like my philosophy before was like, distract from the stuff you don't like. Whereas now I'm like, how can I point an arrow at my favorite thing? You know? Yeah. What do you think? I think for me, it's been that part of my journey towards all of this has been not necessarily jumping straight from I hate all these parts of myself to I love all these parts of myself, but to this kind of middle ground of being like, 
it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. or like who says this is beautiful and this is not beautiful for a long time when I was first getting into it it was just like a big thing for me to be like I'm going to work without makeup not because I'm like I'm beautiful the way I am but because I was like I don't have to care this is bullshit that I have to care Mm -hmm. I have to get up an hour and a half early to like prime my face instead I was like no take me as I am I can be beautiful I can be ugly I don't fucking care Mm -hmm. you don't have to think I'm beautiful I don't even have to think I'm beautiful I do now but I don't have to I can just be like chill with myself Mm -hmm. thank you so much for this question thanks Lynn. bye Now let's move on to It's Okay, You Can Ask, a segment I am forced to participate in. We'll find out the answers to our burning questions like, who is Tokyo Tony? Or, why do you let dogs kiss you on the mouth? (laughs) Let's get to it. (laughs) Okay. So, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what drew you to historical reenactments as a child. I'm fascinated by this. Is this about whiteness? I think... This is just a me. It's no, just a drag. I think historical reenactments are exclusively a white activity. <laughs> I don't know any people of color that are like, yeah, I want to pretend to turn butter this weekend and put on the little <laughs> hat or whatever. So off mic, you've told me a little bit about your venture into this as a child. Oh I really God. just want to hear a little bit about like, what drew you to it? What's your favorite part? Just tell me about it because I don't know anything about this. <sighs> okay. I grew up in Pennsylvania for part of my childhood. We lived in Bucks County, specifically in Washington Crossing, where Washington crossed the Delaware. So there's a lot of history there. When we moved to Arizona, I didn't do it anymore because there's no history there before like 1950. But number one, I was just a nerd. I just read a lot of books and a lot of them were either books from the 17th and 18th centuries because my mom has a doctorate in 17th and 18th century British literature. So those are the books that were around. Or I read a lot of historical fiction. I read like everything Philippa Gregory ever wrote. And I don't know, it was just kind of the ultimate escape for me. I think part of it is that even as a child, I kind of chafed against the idea of having social roles set out for me already, either as a woman or as a fat person. And there's something perversely comforting about the social roles being set in place already for you in like the 18th century, Mm. if that makes sense. For a minute, you're like, the thing that I'm focused on is flirting at a ball. Okay. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Just as a child, it felt like a totally different world from the one I was living in. Was it that you found solace in acting out the old version of those roles? I mean, I just remember feeling that way reading the romance scenes in those novels of being like, this is so scripted and easy, mm. as opposed to seeing what was around me and being like, this is already a mountain I know I gotta push against. You know what I mean? I it's see. not like I would ever want to be in the 18th century for real, mm-hmm. but I think the fiction of it is like, oh, it's easier, like it's a simpler time. I obviously still like crafts and doing stuff with my hands. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was fun to learn about woodworking and spinning and how to make yarn and how to cross stitch. And and I really like the idea of finding out more about history and then the idea of seeing things that only are in books in real life. I mean, because I was in Pennsylvania and I, most of the books I read were 18th century, it was all revolutionary war stuff. I didn't even know that people did civil war stuff. That has much more (laughs) fucked up sides to it. Mm -hmm. I was just interested in wearing a costume. I like costumes and themes. And I liked the needlework stuff a lot. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I I really was just drawn to the performative femininity of it in a way that was like, I get to wear all these skirts. (laughs) I get to just sew and be corded or whatever. Again, not in a I want to be oppressed kind of way. No, it makes sense to me, actually. It's kind of like, this is a space where you would know the rules. Yeah. Whereas, like, in real life, you're like, what, what, what? Yeah, exactly. That makes sense to me. I don't even know. I think a lot of people probably find the same kind of escape I did in it, where it's like, imagine if I had a totally different life and Mm -hmm. I was a woodworker. White people in America, especially, don't have a great handle on our cultural heritage. So, One of the things I can connect to is, what did my people do? Oh, Mm -hmm. physically, they did these things. Because there's some Irish culture that I connect to, but it's what, like St. Patrick's Day? Like, (laughs) no, thank you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
we're kind of creating an American sense of history. Almost the only way to do that, because we have such a short and violent history, <laughs> is to play act at these parts of it that are daily life mundane things, which again, I think understanding people's daily lives, there's a nobility in the mundane. You know what I mean? Totally. Just like understanding how they used to live yeah. and understanding, oh, this is how they used to get butter. Meanwhile, I could just get, you know, my Kerrygold at yeah. Trader Joe's. I mean, it's just another one of those corners of white culture where I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know anything about it. So I I'm like, want to hear about it. I do think that white people are constantly searching for a spiritual basis that's rooted in history. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're not religious and you live in America and people came here, your family came here in the last 200 years and you're aware of the history of the United States, then you're like, yeah, I guess I'll turn butter. What else am I supposed to remember? <laughs> right? I mean, that would make sense. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for providing that thoughtful explanation of why you were as a child turning butter. It was fun, night. dude. I don't yeah. know. It was fun. I liked it a lot. You looked really happy in those pictures. I've been remembering recently some more roots of my interest in social justice as a kid. And I remembered that I had read a book about Phyllis Wheatley. Do you know who she is? Who's Phyllis Wheatley? Phyllis Wheatley is known as the first published Black American poet. She was brought to America as a slave. She was a slave in Boston. And then they like family that okay. she was a slave for they were like oh you're good at this here do poetry and then she like wrote and published poetry mm-hmm. it's super boring by like modern day standards it's very dry 18th century poetry but i distinctly remember learning about her and then making that an intentional part of my character we had this open house thing where we would do like tours of historical houses and so my character would be like oh I'm like a servant girl and I'm like giving a tour of the house for like the guests at dinner and I <laughs> I made it part of my character that I'd be like have you heard of this new girl Phyllis Wheatley her <laughs> poems are so wonderful <laughs> what <laughs> oh my god um, that's adorable yeah I remember doing that and being like, I'm so excited to oh do this. Oh my god. I don't think I had ideas about yeah. social justice. You were just like, I want to share this person's story. Yeah. That's really cute. Yeah. And does make a lot of sense. <laughs> also. And literally all the grown-ups walking through were like, no. <laughs> no care. Oh my god. I love yeah. that. I love that you shared that. Will you write about that on the Patreon too? Sure. Just I'll write like, about Phyllis Wheatley. Yeah, Again, her that. poems are bad, but like... <laughs> but it's what she represented to you. Yeah, exactly. I love that. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> so now do you want to do historical reenactments with me? Oh, no. Not at all. <laughs> but I do understand more. So thank you. You're welcome. And that's our show. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the stuff we mentioned today. And don't forget to send us your questions via email or voice recording to fyi at she'sallfatpod.com. Please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super important in making sure people find the show. If you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we'll give you a shout out on the pod next week. She's All Fat is created, produced, and hosted by us, Sophie Carter-Khan and April K. Cleo. We are an independent production. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash she's all fat pod. When you pledge to be a supporter, you'll get all sorts of goodies and extra content. This week, we're posting more information, resources, and readings about evil fat people just for our Patreon supporters and about historical reenactments, I guess. <laughs> our music was composed and produced by Caroline Penny Packer Ricks. Our website was designed by Jesse Fish, and our logo is by Britt Scott. This episode was mixed and edited by Victor D. Jackson. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handles are at She's Off That Pod. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Bye! Dracula and his son. They played the monster match. It was a graveyard. 
Hans Banaz who left. Oh, the... You think it's Hans Banaz? What do you mean? <laughs> I think it's like Hannah Banana. It's like Hans Banaz. Oh, yeah. It's not Hans. <laughs> you don't Banana. think it's? I don't think we. I think it's more likely we have a Hannah fan than a Hans fan. <laughs> Just... of course it's not Hans Banaz. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.